Words, they get golly hard when they jumble. Jumping over hurdles, slowing birds like a turtle. Merkin fool, like squirtle and cake boo. Cold blood is with this rhyme scheme, I'm a boss. This is That Got Me Thinking, and I'm Ellie Newman. This week, I've been thinking about science, patience, persistence, and synchronicity. I've been thinking about purpose, creativity, and expansion. I've been thinking about black holes and radio astronomy. But mostly, I've been thinking about abstract mathematics and the bright light of perceptible reality. My guest today is Heino Falke. He's an award-winning astrophysicist, a visionary, a dreamer, and a master collaborator. He, along with an international team of astronomers, technicians, imagery experts, data analysts, scientists of all ilk, and some amazing chefs, took a photo and captured and created the first image of a black hole. Falke joins us today to discuss his recent book, Light in the Darkness, Black Holes, the Universe, and Us. Welcome, Dr. Falke, and thank you so much for joining us on That Got Me Thinking. Hello, thank you for having me. So I want to start with the question asked by Martin Rees, a legendary British astronomer who was in one of your presentations, and he was the first to make the idea of black holes respectable, and we'll talk a little bit about later why, why they weren't at first and, and how they are now and how the picture helped. Um, and his question was, what are we actually seeing in the image, the event horizon, its shadow? Yeah, that's a very good question because what is so special about black holes is that you in principle cannot see them because what really characterizes a black hole is its darkness, the fact that it swallows everything. It doesn't return anything. So in that sense, they should be the darkest objects in the universe where light disappears, all information disappears, and there's no way to see them. Yet, we can see them as, you know, we see the, as we see a shadow of a person. But we don't see the person, him or herself, we only see the shadow. We can see the shadow of the black hole, the light that disappears in the event horizon. If you radiate light at a black hole, it will, you, know, it will, you will see a ring of light surrounding the black hole. It will be bent around by the force of gravity, it will go in circles, the light. So if you be close to a black hole, you would look forward, you would see your back, actually. And uh, if you look into, into the horizon, the event horizon itself, you'll see so to speak, eternal darkness, the darkest surface in the universe, or it's not a surface, the darkest place in the universe. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a ring of light, a ring of fire, you could say. In the middle, we see a dark patch. And uh, that's where, you know, the light is disappearing into the black hole. It's interesting as you de- describe it that way because I'm thinking, um, one, I'm thinking of how you guys came up with the name, the, the, the shadow, uh, which is fabulous. And I'm also thinking about it, you know, when you were talking about um, a, a person's shadow, and I'm thinking you don't see the, the heat that's admitted from, emitted from the body or the radiation from the body or an aura if you're metaphysical um, around a, a person's shadow, right? It's only around the person. So that's a, an interesting distinction as far as this shadow that we're seeing actually has an, a huge um, energetic surrounding it. And, and, and that's because black holes attract, right? They're the most attractive object in the universe. And, you know, when matter falls towards black holes, they, they, it will be sped up to almost the speed of light. It will be turbulent. It will go around the, the black hole before it disappears. And it will heat up. It, it will start radiating. It will have... Um, it have hundreds of billions degrees Celsius in, in temperature. I don't know what, what that is in Fahrenheit, to, uh, unfortunately. It's a lot. <laughs> it, it, it's a lot, you know, it will, you know, it's uh, equally uh, a lot of radiation. 
And so, you know, black holes are at the same time the brightest places in the universe as they are the darkest places. And so darkness and light exist next to each other in, in, in perfect harmony, you, you could say. And uh, but the real nature, but I think that's why the shadow is a, a good term that we, you know, we, 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 we in, in our publication like 20 years ago, we thought about you know, how do we call that thing that we see? You know, we, we don't see the black hole. We cannot see a black hole. We only see, you know, we see its shadow. And that, that's how it came up. And, and the black holes hide behind their shadow. You can't see their personality. If you see a person's shadow, you can see a few things, right? But you, you don't learn everything about that person. You, you're missing a lot of information. And uh, the same is true for black holes. And they... You know, they, they, they are the objects that only, you know, allow it to see their shadow. You, know? you said for a long time it seemed that the deep darkness of black holes would remain completely and forever hidden from our, our eyes. Um, why had that been the thought, and what changed? Well, it, it, you know, it took a long time to really understand the concept of, of black holes and what they mean. As you mentioned, uh, they weren't respectable objects. I mean, Albert Einstein, you know, the, who, who proposed the theory of general relativity, didn't believe they could exist. They, they would be out there. He, he thought this was just mathematics and it would not be a realistic object. But uh, uh, they, they, they do exist. And, um, yeah, but, but then you have to understand, you know, where are they? How do they work? Um, you know, how, how could there be light in the first place? And if, if there is a light and, and you want to see the darkness, that, that, you know, that object is going to be incredibly small on cosmological distances. So it's, it would be impossible to see, you would think. So if someone thinking about black holes like 50 years ago, he or she would have, would have, would have thought, well, that's just you know, a pie in the sky, that's far away. There's no way we'll ever be see them up front and close. Yet here we are because technology progresses and at some point fantasy and dreams are turned into reality and actual observations and into real science. And the culmination of your life's work thus far. Um, so maybe I want to start with a couple things. Uh, I'm thinking about um, Einstein and we'll talk about him later for sure. But, you know, how even though he, he didn't believe that they existed, he still thought a lot about them, right? And I want to talk about the white holes before we, before we end the conversation for sure. But first, I want to talk about some basics. Um, what exactly is a radio astronomer? Because I think one thing you said in the book was the size of, of the black hole would be like a quarter of a, a mustard seed at best. And so, at, at the distance of Europe, seen from from the U.S. Yeah. So, how are we able to even pinpoint it, and and what is the role of the radio astronomer in doing that? It's a, it's a, an interesting question because until I would say the fifties, there were astronomers, and astronomers would look through a telescope with which was something with with mirrors or with with lenses, and they, you know they would use their eyes or would use a a, a photo uh, that that would uh, well it would take pictures with, and then suddenly after World War II, you know astronomers were starting to use radio antennas to to measure and detect radio emission from the cosmos. And what we know is that radio emission is actually like optical light, like the light we see. It just has a different frequency. 
It's, it's the same thing. It just has a different color, a color that we cannot see with our bare eyes, but we can measure them with, with antennas. And so in that time, people suddenly started to call themselves radio astronomers because they were using radio waves, not the optical waves that we see. And suddenly there were optical telescopes because telescopes used to be just one thing, right? <laughs> but now you had radio and optical. And today we have X-rays, we have gamma rays, we have near-infrared, we have far-infrared. Um, we have all kinds of colors that, you know, weren't around uh, for, for astronomers to use in the last you know, 2,000 years. We, you know, we used our bare eyes to look at the skies and, 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 you know, and lenses. And now we use entire electromagnetic spectrum. And, and we see sort of a much richer universe suddenly. You know, we see so many more colors nowadays. Um, you know, I was comparing this, I think, to a, a piano, you know, which has different, you know, octaves and we can play. And, uh, and you would play with just one octave on, on a piano. And now we have a piano which is 12 meters wide, right? Or 12 yards or whatever. Mm. <laughs> you know, so many frequencies and, and, and sounds and, uh, th that we cover these days. But then, yeah, you have to have radio an antennas, uh, big dishes, like a satellite dish. You may have on your, uh, on your roof, uh, just much bigger. And then you need to have a resolution that you know, gives you, you know, the resolution to see a black hole. It's this mustard seed in Europe seen from, from New York. And that requires a telescope the size of the Earth, you know, a world-sized telescope. And how does it... Um, the other element just of the technical aspect, so before we start talking about the, the rest of it, is how then do you um, barrel through all of what's in between Europe and, and America when you're looking at the mustard seed? Like One thing you mentioned was that, that radio, you're using radio emission of distant black holes as cosmic landmarks. So you're mapping the whole universe, um, the, the galaxy and then the universe. But how are you filtering out what's between you in Chile and the black hole that you're looking at? Well, of course, we are looking into space. Mm -hmm. and, and space is largely empty. It's, you know, it's full of stars and it's full of black holes. So if you make a picture of the universe with radio telescope, you would see it, you know, you wouldn't see individual stars. What you would see were actually black holes because this would dominate your view. Uh, you would see blobs of, of gas. You would see streaks of you know, plasma streams shooting out from the centers of galaxies. You would see little compact sources. So it would be, a, you know, an entire, you know, ecosystem out there of radio sources that you would see a completely different universe than you would see with your naked eyes. And, uh, and then of course you have to know which, which object is where, right? So, and then you, you know, oh, this radio source there, like the one we're, we're looking at, uh, Messier 87. Well, that's in the heart of a galaxy. And that was first seen with an optical telescope. And so you have to compare the radio picture with the optical one, identify them, and then, you know, zoom into this, zoom into the heart of the galaxy, and there you want to see the radio emission coming from near the black hole. That was one of, you say it casually, but that was one of the things that also just blew my mind when I think, how did Eratosthenes calculate the size of the Earth 
so long ago, and you target the emissions of a black hole billions of light years away. And, and you had said something about, oh, it's simple trigonometry, which everyone in my house thought was kind of an oxymoron for those of us who don't think trigonometry is so simple. Does it make sense to you that centuries ago, uh, people were able to figure out so much about uh, the, the heavens? Yeah, that's an amazing thing that you mentioned. Uh, and that's, in fact, a, a misconception that people have often. They think, you know, the, the ages in the Middle Ages, people were thinking the Earth was flat, right? And only Columbus discovered it wasn't. Well, you know, the, 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 the kings at the time would have been very stupid to give someone a, a ship, you know, three ships, very expensive ones to go, you know, over the flat Earth and then fall off at the edge. Um, no, at the time, they already knew the Earth was round. Uh, it, it was a it was a sphere. Uh, you can see that in in, in some uh, insignias of of of, of, uh, of of kings at the time. And indeed, an old Greek already measured the size of the Earth and actually calculated them with you know basic math that you learn at high school. And I'm pretty sure you know. I think if you go back to your high school lectures or whatever your high school schools, you'll be able to figure out the size of the Earth as well if we, if we do this together. Um, just measuring shadows again, you know, shadows of sticks that uh, that, that he measured at different uh, latitudes uh, of the Earth, and that's amazing. With simple things, you can you understand a few basics of our universe. But then, you know, if you want to really understand it, get to the bottom of it, you need better telescopes, sharper vision, and that's only been happening the last, well, 100 years, and it's certainly been accelerated the last 20, 30 years. Boy, what kind of pictures have we seen uh, from the space telescope, from the ground? Uh, beautiful pictures, uh, you know, in, in colors and structures that no generation before was allowed to see. We've been, we, we, we saw our Earth from above, you know, this beautiful blue pearl on the black background. Um, it's, I mean, that's such a... Um, such a pleasure and a, um, you know, a, a grace, you can say, uh, that we allow to see all, all this. You know, no generation before us had been allowed to see that. You had said, how astounding is it that throughout the entire universe, everything is bound together by the same processes and plays out according to the same laws. And as you're talking about what we're now being able to see out in the cosmos, I'm thinking about the parallel as to what we're able to see in the last decade or two internally, right? And how our minds work and and the, the digital mapping and, and um, all the other kinds of <clears throat> brain mapping. Oh, I sometimes, sometimes have the impression. Oh, uh, Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Sometimes I have the impression, actually, we, we, we by now know the, the cosmos better than we know ourselves, right? <laughs> um, but uh, because, you know, you can, you can look, you know, into the universe and it's much harder to look into your brain. So what do we need to understand about light, space, gravity and time to better understand the significance of the black hole? It's interesting that black holes are represent so many different things. They are the most extreme form of gravity, the end product of, of stars, the ultimate end of, of stars, the ultimate destruction pl places where everything is torn apart, where everything disappears. And yet they are some of the most simple objects in space. You know, everything is reduced to how heavy a black hole is. Every other information, all other information just disappears. And... In, in a black hole. So they're ultimate, utterly simple, 
and yet so exotic and complex. They, they, they twist they twist light and space. They let time run much more slower. They almost, you know, make it look as if time comes to standstill if you come to the end of a edge of a black hole. And so if you think about the Big Bang and black holes, then you could think of the Big Bang being, you know, know, these are the alpha and omega of the universe. Big Bang, the beginning of space and time, and black holes are, so to speak, the end of space and time. And if we think about what space and time and gravity is, um, this is where we, you know, can try to understand it or fail forever. (laughs) Well, the big challenge still is what is time, for example, right? And um, where does this universe come from? And so forth. And, and, and this is really one of the, 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 the fundamental limits of our knowledge at, at this moment. You call the black holes the gates of hell. And I, I read that and I was like, does he believe that? Because I don't believe that you believe that. I believe you love black holes. <laughs> you spent, you've been fascinated from your youth and you've spent your entire life dedicated toward them. Um, how how are you feeling about them once now you've seen the seen the image? Well, they are. I mean, of course, I mean, it's not literal hell, but I think they yeah. fulfill all the you know the things you associate with hell. They're sort of a, a modern mythological objects representing sort of a like a physical you know representation of of hell, where you, you know where you know the ring of fire you have to go through you you go into the inside where you were completely lonely you're not able to communicate with the outside world you could actually still look and see to the outside and, and see what's going on but you would not be able to tell anybody so you know this you know you think about the the big beyond you think about death and and, and destruction on the other hand you know it's it's always good to think about these things uh, about your own death about your own destiny and it has a certain fascination, of course. I mean, we think it's dangerous and it's a thriller and, and uh, you know, it's, it's fascinating. And as long as I'm not too close to them, I think it's absolutely fascinating, riveting to think about them and, and study them. So in that sense, I think that's not ex- an exclusion. It's, uh, but it's a warning, you know, don't get too close to, uh, to black holes. It's... Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking about time and and time being relative. And um, one thing that I think for anyone listening, reading your book would not feel (laughs) relative in time is that the time it takes for astronomers to oftentimes uh, test a theory or find out new information. And I was so in awe of the ability not only to have the patience um, and the fortitude to continue on, but the the satisfaction of just adding something, even if it was something small to the equation or to the puzzle, instead of having to only see success in figuring it all out. Um, you waged a battle over, and you actually weren't waging the battle, but it turns out people in the, your um, community like to have a fight going and over the battle over emissions. And it was 30 years to clarify that it was the millimeter waves emitted in the vicinity of the black holes. How did that get started? And, and what were the two opposing views? Yeah, of course, when you start as a PhD student, you don't know, you know, I, I'm going to take a picture of a black hole, right? You think about the big questions, and, and I knew black holes were interesting, and I wanted to do something with black holes. I didn't know what and, and where to go, but I knew I wanted to be really, you know, close to where the action is. And, uh, but then, you know, you, 
you have to start with little things. You don't have to learn how black holes work, where are the interesting questions, and you have to, you know, try to understand them. That, that's what I did. And then you have to be lucky. Of course, you also have to be lucky that, you know, I was there at the right time, at the right moment, and realizing, boy, this type of emission, right, it comes from the edge of black holes. And if, if that's true, you know, if, if my model, if my idea is true, then we would be able to see that black hole. And that was sort of a, a, an amazing moment, which I, you know, in the book called the Amazing Grace moment, because, you know, it's a, the moment where you were blind and now you can see. And that only comes after a couple of years of research where you don't know where it's leading. And suddenly you have this, yes, this eureka moment. We were able to see that black hole. And that's not the end. It's just the beginning. You know, it, it, it sets the, the, the course for the next 20 years. This is where you want to go. And you have to make detours and so forth to, to get there. In the end, you know, we managed. We, we got there. It's something you cannot plan. But, uh, you know, it's, this, this is how science works. You're fascinated by the questions. You are absolutely curious. You don't know where it will lead you, but you just follow your curiosity and you do what you are passionate about, thinking and, 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 and researching and, and trying to find, you know, a little bit of truth. And sometimes it's something that is, you know, really big and captures the entire world by surprise. I mean, that image that we made was seen by four and a half billion people all around the world. It was a you know, magic moment, and this is something that doesn't happen all the time. In fact, it's a very rare <laughs> event in, in science, and I would have been happy without it, because just following my curiosity and trying to find out. You said what I wanted was certainty. I wanted to see black holes more than anything. That, to me, is the most telling thing, because you say, finally, I can see... It's really the driving moment for me, the moment I live for. And I I was so impressed by that throughout well, your writing. I was so impressed in, in your actions. But that um, intention that to have a goal and to have curiosity and to be sort of steadfast in pursuing it, that that's where the purpose and joy in, in life is. Um, you also throughout the book mention, often say, the miracle has happened. And there were so many synchronicities and, and miracles. And I, I know that some scientists, maybe even the gal that wrote the foreword in the book, might think that wasn't appropriate. But Einstein would certainly be rooting you on because he believed that everything in life was a miracle or nothing was. And one of the things that you stumbled upon, and stumbled upon, I put in, in quotes the way that I see life happening, um, one of the synchronicities was you coming upon an article by James Bardeen, and you were reading it, and you noticed that the circle was far too big. What mm -hmm. was that aha moment? Yeah, no, I, I had this idea, you know, it might be possible this, this, this light, this radiation would come from near the event horizon. But then I you know, I was calculating how big that, that dark region should be, roughly. I was talking with colleagues, and, you know, it seemed too small. And as I said, you know, you need a Earth-sized telescope to see what we now saw, which means, you know, we connect the telescopes all over the world. And if you want to see something that's even smaller, you would need a telescope that's bigger than the Earth. And that is, you know, was completely beyond my reach in my, in my lifetime to build a telescope, you know, bigger than Earth. So that, that was clear. And so I was very frustrated for a couple of years, but it was still in the back of my mind, right? This was working, right? You had this idea and said, ah, it's not quite working out. It's not quite working out. And I was sitting there in the library of our institute and reading through some old books. You know, that's the advantage of books, right? You sometimes come across things that you didn't plan. I was looking at another article, actually, 
And I just saw this other, this one little article, which was hardly noticed. Just a very few people had even quoted that article. A few people knew it existed. But it was doing a calculation how, you know, how big a black hole would appear if it's illuminated from behind. You know, I saw, as you said, I saw that that thing was, you know, that what we later called the shadow was, was much bigger than expected. And I was thinking, we're thinking, says, oh, yes, of course, I forgot. Black holes are, you know, are like gravitational lens. They magnify themselves. This thing is two and a half times bigger. And if that's true, if, if that's true what I'm seeing there, then we should be able to see the black hole with, with telescopes here on Earth. That should be possible. And that was such an, you know, an, an, an amazing moment, as I said, to realize this. And, and, you know, and also how stupid I was. I mean, that's, you know, in hindsight, you, you, you think, yeah, that should have been obvious, right? You know, you, you know how you know, GR works, <laughs> general relativity, how light is being bent. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, but but I don't think it is stupid because you can't get past the narrative that you're carrying and the laws that you're you've built that around until you do right. Like yeah. it's it's not till something does spark that shift that then you can move beyond those because prior to that you're analyzing everything within that construct. Absolutely. Sometimes you need someone to change your your view a little bit to to give you a little new insight, and that's how creativity works. You you think about something, you you don't come with a solution or. Uh, but then you know, a little remark from someone, a little, uh, little picture, a little drawing, a little article, like in this case, you know, triggers something in your head, and you 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 pull things together, you make the connection, and then suddenly something completely new comes out, something that in the hindsight would have always been obvious, but you know, at the time nobody was making the connections, and I was you know, fortunate enough that yeah, I made that connection at, at that time. And you had these events occurring throughout the years of, of the project. You met a classmate by chance on the train who happened to be studying something in parallel that fit perfectly with the project that you were interested in creating. You won the Dutch Nobel Prize, the Spinoza Prize. Um, and then further on, this one really got me, the one pulsar being detected in our galactic center that never had before and one has not since really sort of pushed you over um, the edge to success in in funding your project. So let's talk a little bit about the project and what it took to get the photo taken because there were so many elements. Um, you had to come up with a theory. You had to do some great marketing. You had to raise some money. You had to build a team. You had to have luck with weather. What were sort of the main uh, challenges and um, what did that path look like and how long did it take? Well, I mean, from the first idea to the final realization, it took 25 years. And of course, it's never something that you do entirely on your own because you're synthesizing input from other people and you're talking with each other. Um, I think I was, you know, one of the first who had a very clear vision to say that, you know, this we can do with that technique. And then it's about convincing other people. It's it's about talking. It's, you know, this is science. I mean, you, you can be right, but, you know, others have to say, yes, you are. And then they have to give you money and they have to believe in your idea. You have to believe in your vision. And that takes a long time. And uh, and then others suddenly also have the same idea, right? Or they, they pick it up. And then, you know, a, a race starts, actually, who is the first? And uh, then it comes about, uh, it's, it's about finding, finding the funding and so forth. And so it's, it's, it's a very complex process. And then building a global collaboration, which is maybe maybe the hardest thing. We, we know this in this world today. You know, working together on a global level is not easy. And what we have in our collaboration is is people from you know from from Asia, from from the Americas, from from Europe, uh, a few from Africa, Latin America, of course. 
and different cultures, different funding streams, different egos, and they all have to, you know, get the same vision, the same idea. And it, it's amazing how this process works, uh, how out of, you know, loose ideas, people come together and they bring all their resources. It's not that we had just one funding source, right? We got a lot of money in Europe. Uh, you, you just mentioned this there, you know, some others brought their, their telescope, they brought their funding. Uh, some, some, some of our American colleagues got some big funding. So it, it really is a network that, that grows together of sometimes competing interests, but in the end working towards the same goal because they're all fascinated by that idea wanting to see that black hole. I love the idea. I just know why it popped in my head of like everyone meeting on the sandlot, right? And you say, okay, go home and get everything you can find and bring it because we're going to need it. Um, you know, and everyone just dumps their bag of stuff that they brought and then and figure out how to, how to make it work. Um, That's an, and people bring their own skills. I mean, in the end, the image and the way we made it, I was so impressed because it was a, a new generation of very young scientists, PhD students, some of my own PhD students, some young postdocs and in Harvard, MIT, but in Arizona, in uh, uh, yeah, all around the world, working together and excelling and bringing their own skills to the table, and that that's as much needed as you know all the different stuff that you have, you know, telescopes and 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 and, uh, and money and, and and software and so forth. So it really is that what you say, you know, grabbing everything you have and then you know constructing something and building it with with these different. You know, skill sets and, and, and means that we have throughout the world. That was certainly interesting. And, and, and it was totally moving and oppressed to see how you know, out of this, this chaos suddenly with discussion and, and, and passion, something really, really beautiful emerged and, and, and really good science in the end. And even after you've captured the image, the radio emissions for the creating the image, you're nowhere near done. Um, you have no idea if it's going to work. You don't know if there, there's no backup. So if the the record the data gets lost in shipment, that's done. Um, and then a huge cadre of other specialists have to step in to do all sorts of analysis and image creating. Um, how long did that? part last and how long was it before you knew that you actually had captured what you were trying to capture well it, over this long time scale it was almost fast i would say you know we, we, we did this observation in 2017 we had a few t test runs before starting in 2015 of course before they were even pathfinder experiments throughout this entire 20 years but really the real first big observational campaign was with, you know, in the end, 300 scientists around the world were involved, uh, eight telescopes on six different mountains around the world. Uh, we took the data, we took five petabyte of, or four petabyte of data on hard drives, you know, at all these radio telescopes, which were later brought together. And uh, that was in 2017. And it, in, in April, sort of, you know, around spring 20, 2017. And then in around spring 2018, we got the data because you have to ship them back. Some, some data came from, from South Pole. We have to analyze it. And that's where we saw the first hints that there's something really interesting um, that, that the experiment worked. Because you only know in the end, after a year, whether all this, 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 this effort you know, had worked. Because the data are stored on, on hard drives. You have to bring it together. And just only once you've done it, then you know. And so that's where we saw the first glimpse. And then, you know, it, for me, felt, it felt like it took a decade to work on the data yet it all happened almost within a year so in the end it it, it, it took only only two years to process all this data 
but it was like a pressure cooker um, of, of young folks uh, you know, hunting this data, tracking down every issue. There were you know, so many issues that can go wrong. Different telescopes have the different personalities and so forth. It was an absolutely amazing a period for all of us uh, and the period we had to recover from <laughs> it was absolutely exhausting and you had to, not only technical issues but you had to to bring back your team in mexico because of bandits well that happened a year later that indeed uh, like there was some some little minor war <laughs> breaking out with, with gangs and so between secret police and uh uh, and some local. Oh, market. that was the second time when you were trying to, to well, get do it one, second, do, do yeah, it a second yeah. time. That was a year later, yeah. and then you know, they, you know, one of my students were going to the telescope. They held at gunpoint yeah. by six people jump, jumping out of a black truck uh, with machine guns, six people armed, masked, and that was a very scary moment. That's when we pulled the, the team from the telescope. The telescope was closed for for quite some time because it wasn't considered uh, safe anymore in, in that region, and that was you know, um, poof. I was very nervous when I, when I heard that. I mean, it's your, your, your PhD student going there, right? You feel responsible, and then suddenly, yeah. you know, there. And he comes from a region, you know, from, this, he came from a part of Germany where you don't have any crime. You know, it's, you know. <laughs> this was new. I mean, uh, you know, a colleague of mine from Boston said, well, that's even much worse than anything we had here in Boston, right? Yeah. So, yeah. You know, we've never that's seen a gun. We, we don't see these things. You know, it's, it, it doesn't happen. You, you're not held at gunpoint. And then suddenly six, you know, six people with machine guns j- jumping at you. It's just so, so unreal. Um, but you had, when, it turned out you had had, you had captured what you needed to pr- produce the image the, the first time around. I want to talk a little bit about light um, because it plays, I think, the the leading role in all of the cosmos. Um, and it's a very different aspects than than time and space, and um, some of which are paradoxical, that it can be a particle and a wave at the same time. Um, Nothing can move faster than light because nothing can be less inert. Can you describe a little bit about um, what that means and how it's the deepest Love like that. It, that light is really light and energy, and one of the same. They're the at, at the deepest level, they're everything, which I think is so important because I think it it seems that it all depends on what level one is making the comparison in science when we're uh, comparing apples and oranges or gravity and quantum physics. Yeah, it's, it's it's very interesting, and that's a very recent realization. I mean, recent in terms of the last hundred years. We always think that matter is everything and so forth. But you know, the first thing, if you think of you know the the book of Genesis, let there be light. It's the first thing you know created. And and if you go to you know, the Big Bang, it's one of the first thing that's around is energy and light, and 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 out of which matter can can arise. You know, it turns out you can turn light into matter and matter into light. That's something that you know famous equation of Albert Einstein said, E is MC squared. Um, that used to be very popular. And uh, it also turned out that light sets the stage for space and time. It sort of it measures space and time. And that light is the only constant in this universe, in, in a way, uh, the constant measure, I should say. Uh, that's something that Einstein realized. Light is sort of, light is a ruler, not space, not time. And space and time can change because light stays the same. 
And, and that was quite a, a, a remarkable shift of understanding our universe that, you know, the properties of light essentially determine the, the space-time structure of, of, uh, yeah, of, of our universe. Um, and so he, he turned things around. And also, if, if you think about forces, you know, it's, it's when, when you talk about quantum physics and, and, and you hit someone on the head with, with a hammer, then you're essentially on the lowest level, you're exchanging virtual particles, virtual light particles, so to speak, that, that, that they carry the force. So, you know, everything to some degree is, is light. And that's why, you know, light is so fundamental. The nature of light is so, so fundamental to everything we do. And that's such a huge shift. And it's one that sort of was, I think, quietly accepted, and maybe not everyone even knows about it any longer, that, that that's now considered a fact. Um, and so when that happens in science, does it, does it just infiltrate and shift everyone's focus a little bit once that's accepted once you know how how much can you trust what you know and and how much do then when something like this happens when there's a major shift that's accepted um shift ev- the the course of of everyone else's study it's it's a paradigm it's a remarkable paradigm a remarkably successful paradigm and and it it dominates the theory of uh of, of relativity and it's also you know what i mentioned about light is also part of quantum physics, but quantum physics also has other elements. You know, there is matter, right? So there are particles, uh, which I said you can come from light and so forth. Um, and, and, and quantum physics has its own paradigms. And, and so now it's, it's interesting. We look at the world you know, with, with the tools of general relativity, and then we understand space and time in a certain way, and then we look at space-time and information from the quantum point of view, and that sets a certain paradigm. And that has both sh- fundamentally, radically shifted the way we viewed this world uh, 100 years ago, quantum physics and general relativity. But we know both theories are, at the lowest level, not compatible with each other. There's something wrong. And so there's yet another paradigm shift that we need to make in the future, and we just don't know in which direction. Or another uh, piece, right? Like the third body. Yeah. Maybe we just don't have the third body yet that, that fits them then together. Yeah, well, if, maybe it's just a bright idea that, that yeah. we need or some, yeah. some, some higher, higher picture. Because, you know, every theory is a description of, of reality. It's not reality it's itself. It's a, it's a picture that we paint and it helps us understanding things. And uh, it can be tested. That's very important in science. We can measure it, and it makes predictions. Um, but you know, there is a certain, you know, certainly at the edge of black holes, none of these black, you know, these, these two theories can give a complete and full description of what's happening because either one, they're both contradicting each, each other mm-hmm. at the black holes. And, and that's where you know some new piece, yeah, some new idea. That could be very fundamental. Let's throw out the wave particle dualism piece just to put it in people's mm-hmm. minds because I think it's it's a simple one to understand when you explain it um, with mm-hmm. the no one ever really understands Quote Schrodinger's cat and I love that you say there was really no cat in the box. It was a thought experiment. I think that's really important too. But the the idea about the smallest particles of matter and that electrons um, can go through two doors at once unless you install a photosensor that measures their passage. So maybe just let's plant those seeds in people's minds before we, we move on to our final topics. Well, well there are two things. One is the duality, duality of light, which you know can be either a particle 
or a wave? And it really depends on the question you're asking. You get a different answer. So if, you, if, you, if you're looking for a particle, you find the particle nature of light. If you're looking for a wave, you find the wave nature uh, of light. And, and, and so that's quite interesting. It shows that you know, our, our perceptions really depend on our model and our questions sometimes. And uh, it's important to, to ask the right questions. And then, then matter itself, you know, we always picture the, the atom as you know, the, the matter that we are made of, of a, you know, a proton with a, with a big ball in the center and then a little ball around it, which is the electron. And that, that's our atom. But in principle, these things are not entities like we understand them. They're just probabilities that something exists there, that they are you know, somewhere here, but, but they could be at diff different places at the same time. It's only when you measure them exactly uh, that you know where they are. But if you've done that, you don't know how fast they are, for example. You know, you can only measure one aspect of quantum particles. And so, you know, the, the quantum world becomes almost, you know, counterintuitive. It's, it's almost impossible to understand that, to, to, to bring it in, to, to rhyme it with the un universe, the world that we see around us. At one point in the book, you say that Einstein would, you know, if he heard this, he'd be rolling over in his grave. And, um, and I, I thought about that because I thought, would he, like, I, I start to think about what would Einstein think? Like, would he have believed that his word was the last word um, when he left the earth? Or would he have assumed that there was going to be so much more? And what do you think if he brought, came back tomorrow um, that you, that he would think about all that was happening? And, and do you think he was still argue for the white hole oh well, we didn't talk about the white we hole. we didn't the and I, I want to talk about that before we go that bridge i love it yeah which is the opposite of, of of black hole so let's come back to that so what would einstein think today well i i, I never met him personally i must say and uh as as correct as he was in the early days um in in, in you know the, the final days uh, he was just, you know, uh, taken over by many other scientists. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't you know, coming up with... I, I guess that's with, what I'm asking, uh, though. Do you think he would have, or one in his place, because yeah, we don't know him, would have expected to have been getting it all right? You know, or would he just think, okay, from where we are and what we can see and what I can know and how I can think about it, this is the next piece. This is the next step on the ladder. I think he would have been totally amazed and, and blown away by the fact that black holes a, exist and that they work, you know, that they're perfectly described by his theory. And that a hundred years later, we're using the theory and we can explain extremely well what we're seeing there. I think that just for a scientist, this is beauty. Yeah, you, 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 you describe a theory which is simple from a few simple, um, simple ideas and principles. You develop the mathematics, which is hard enough. And then that mathematics stays immuted, unchanged for 100 years and explains you know, in, in great detail precision measurements, not just the black hole, the pulsar measurements and other things, rotational waves and so forth. So it's a, it's a mind-blowing success of this theory. And it could lead you to be arrogant, you know, and I don't know, you know, I, I don't know how Einstein is to say, you know, that, that's it, that's everything. But as a scientist, of course, you want to, you always hope that there's some new idea or some new new door still. And I'm pretty sure Einstein would have started to think about that. You know, as I said, to think about how to bring general relativity, space and time together with quantum physics, one of the big topics these days. And how about Hawking? He saw he well, saw a lot more. Well, Hawking 
Hawking was working on that. He was just like many others, and he he was the first one to, um, you know, in a very clear way to 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 you know, bring these concepts together, and that led to this discovery, which is theory still, of, of Hawking radiation, the fact that black holes can evaporate in principle if quantum physics is true, and and if, if what he calculated was is, is true, and um, and that poses one of the one of these big 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 problems these days because uh, you know. If you have black holes evaporate, then all the information that once was in a black hole will be set free again, you know, in contrast to what I said before. But where is it stored? You know, how, how, how do you make sure that all the information that goes in comes out properly? You know, because it was all destroyed, more or less, in, in, in a black hole. How is that possible? And so that's what Hawking showed. The problem with Hawking is we, we don't have an experimental verification yet. So it, it, it is a lead. But, you know, he, he, even Hawking, let's put it that way, even Hawking didn't manage to put together this big theory of everything, the theory of, you know, space, time, and quantum physics and everything. And we're still looking for it. So it takes more than Hawking and Einstein to do this, apparently. And that's a big challenge for the young folks out there. And maybe, maybe the good one, right? Because you say science is not an absolute method for explaining everything in and beyond the world, but rather a celebration of human creativity and curiosity. So that's perfect. Um, mm-hmm. You talk about light quantum in one of the last chapters and about all, all about perspective. And we see things differently at different perspectives and filtered through various narratives that we hold true. Um, and I'm thinking about that as far as uh, and I couldn't put all the pieces together because it got late. And my brain started to hurt. But but my thought that when we're talking about Hawking and the idea that he was focused on information, right? And that that's one focus of if that's what's stored in the black hole and if that's the, the, the basic element that we're focused on um, versus just pure energy or pure light or something else that we haven't identified yet that can exist, right? That, that, that's connected maybe to all of those things. Um, and it seemed like you had a very optimistic uh, perspective in the last couple chapters about the idea that even if everything so far we understand about the black hole is true, that it, it wouldn't necessarily mean that it's the mass destroyer and it will be the destruction of all. Is that guiding your thoughts and your research and your work in the next few decades? Well, I'm always a hopeful person, right? So I, that, that's, you know, throughout all my life, um, I've been, you know, an optimistic person in a sense. Things are, are doable. And I'm, you know, I'm a person of faith as well. So I, I, I think in the end, I, I'm not scared. I'm not scared by my own death, by my own future. Uh, and I think there's an enormous creative force in this universe, and um, and we'll, we'll go back to that uh, creative force uh, in, in the future. And, and so much happened in this universe. If you, if you think about, you know, what, what started from the Big Bang, um, and and uh, and nobody knows where the Big Bang came from, but you know, so many things happened that turned gas into well, the particles into gas, gas into stars and planets. Uh, those Planets suddenly had, you know, had life and, and plants, and then had had humans. Uh, we now see something like dark energy, which drives the universe apart. Uh, something that wasn't visible in the past. So many things happened along the uh, along the uh, the line of the the, the life of, of of the universe. That I'm quite optimistic that 
um, there's more to be discovered and more to be seen. I, I, you know, I, I, that's one thing I feel often that I see a very pessimistic view of uh, even Hawking and others were saying, you oh, this world will, will, will be destroyed and we'll just, you know, kill ourselves and blah, blah, blah. I think he found comfort in that. I've done what I could. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know whether that it was, I, I'm not sure it was comfort. Yeah. I mean, he was certainly struggling with his own his own demise, getting yeah. older and, and and leaving this world, and uh, resolve. I have no fun. I, I have no fun in thinking that you know if I go, you know, this world is doomed, or or you know the, the world itself is doomed. Mm. I I have a hopeful perspective yeah. of this world. And, and, and a so relationship to something beyond, as you mentioned, Faith. So let's, in these last few minutes, if you wouldn't mind, describing um, what you can of the Einstein-Rosen bridge, the white hole, the counterpart possibly to the black hole. Yeah, that, that, if you just use the math and you describe a black hole, then you can have the opposite, a white hole, where, white hole, where you know, quite opposite in the black hole, everything can only go in and never out again. In a white hole, everything can only go out and never in, and so it's sort of a, an endless source of uh, of matter and, and, and material and, and, and whatnot, a singularity, a point out of which everything uh, evaporates, so to speak. the The problem we have is that um, we don't have any evidence that these things exist. We have no idea how they could be made. You know, of black holes, we know how they could be made. But gravity, you know, pulls everything together, and the end stage is a you know, all matter compressed into one point. It's, it's a black hole. The, the creating the other thing is, you know, we, we don't know how to do it. Um, it. It's it fascinates people because you know theoretically you can connect a black hole and a white hole and could connect different parts of a universe. Sort of have a a wormhole, but that's in a very simplistic mathematical picture. And yet, it doesn't stop people from thinking about it. And you know, if there's a theoretical possibility, maybe it is, it's realistic. So it's something to you should not discount right away. But at this point, we don't have all the ingredients you would need in physics to you know to actually create a white hole, and we have no clue clear idea how they could have been made. So while they may sound like a fantastic idea and they're great for science fictions, it may be that they're not part of our physical universe, how beautiful the mass is. And are they in relation at all to the idea of multiple universes? Is well, there... yeah, that, that thing that people you know, talk about, whether there's just one universe or multiple universes, right? this is one of the big problems <laughs> in physics that people <laughs> questions problems questions <laughs> yeah you know how how can it be that this universe works in the first place now, that's one of the biggest yeah, mysteries that's a big one well and i'm just thinking how, now as i said that i'm thinking and can we have parallel timelines within a singular universe or do we have to have the parallel universe um to be able to have uh, parallel timelines existing um, because that's one thing Einstein believed, right? That time wasn't linear, that there were parallel timelines to some extent. Well, there's a whole school in quantum physics which thinks that you know, every time 
you know, something happens on the quantum level, a completely new universe or a new reality emerges, which, which sort of separates. I, I am... Yeah, and I never had thought about before, does that mean they're in a separate universe or are those all happening within our universes and maybe they're all happening within the white hole? We don't know. Yeah, but, you know, it's, it, the point is, this is just, you know, to some degree, it's just blah. Yeah. Because there's no way at this point we could test this, right? I mean, to, to think that suddenly there's another universe bringing out of existence like you know i saw that on, on star trek discovery you know they had the parallel universe uh it made for a good story or you know better war story it made it makes for an interesting story but you know if there's something that's not testable but but um, wasn't that the black hole fun. initially wasn't that and, and not to say that this one will then prove right but that isn't the spark in that and the idea that it wasn't respectable before to talk about the black hole because everyone was like oh there's no evidence there's no way we could prove it there's no way we could take a picture well, well, I mean, it, it was a mathematical solution. And yeah. then, you know, someone like Oppenheimer showed in principle, you can't have a star collapse and it would give a black hole, right? So that you had some reason to believe it, it's, it's not completely crazy to think about it. And, and, and so it was clear that was in principle testable, right? But some of the ideas I hear about multiverses or, you know, these parallel universes come into existence are that they are still at least in even in principle, not measurable. And that makes it, you know, a complete, you know, source of fantasy. You know, if, if you want to do science, you know, you, you can think about it. You know, it could be philosophy. It could be like some sort of faith or whatever. Um, but it wouldn't be science anymore if you postulate something that is not measurable. And so that that's what I feel sometimes about these parallel universes, right? These, you know, you, 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 you postulate different reality out there. But, you know, if it doesn't affect you, if it's not measurable, it doesn't affect, you know, others around you, you know, what's reality? What, what is it then? So you, know, you have to be a bit careful to not get lost in, in parallel universes. <laughs> we have to work with the universe we are living in and try to understand that one. You know, if there's other universes out there. Um, well, I mean, yeah, you know, I, I, w I would not exclude this forever. But you have to come with a better argument why, you know, how to see <laughs> them, how they, you know, how to measure them, and then we can you, you keep talking about it. Until we need then, some math. It, yeah. Until then, uh, it's fantasy. We need some math. Absolutely. Yes. I, I want to just share before we end a statement that you made because I feel like it's a universal statement, not just in relation to science, but in in um, navigating our lives at, at any point and you say what's important is that everyone have their own goal to follow that suits their actual talents and that these talents supplement those of the others in the group rather than have everyone competing against one another and um, you talk about that in relation to being a grad student and managing your grad students and then the success of taking this incredible image um, so thank you thank you for the work thank you for the book we have one minute left, so I, I'm going to just plant a question out there with something that I, I just could not wrap my mind around, and maybe you can give a little more data, and we can all end up thinking about this throughout the day and the night or wherever we're listening to the show. And you say that the speed of if the speed of light were infinite, all information in space would reach me instantaneously. What does that look like? It would take away a certain level of freedom because the fact that light is finite means that you know what counts is what's now here with me at this moment 
and I cannot predict what's going to happen to me over, you know, a few weeks, a few, even a few minutes or whatever, because the information from the future hasn't reached me yet. It's unpredictable. And so the fact that light is finite has many important implications in, in science, but it also gives us to some degree freedom. It decouples us from the rest of the universe. And, uh, and that means that, you know, how good we understand science, how well we can predict the future is always open. All right. Well, Heino, thank you so much for joining us. I've been speaking with Heino Falke and his new book, Light in the Darkness, Black Holes, the Universe, and Us. Thank you. All right. So who are you going to be rooting for now for the rest of the cup? Or are you just done watching? Netherlands was exa- uh, was, was uh, eliminated. Uh. I'm working in the Netherlands. I'm, I'm German, so Germany is out. I, I, maybe I root for Switzerland. They are funny to do this. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. All right, I'll join you. Let's do something different. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much. Good night. Yeah, thank you. And uh, yeah, have, have a good day. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.